Welcome back to Mrs. Janeski's AP Government Podcast. In this episode, I will be going over your last required foundational document for the AP exam, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. So if you agree that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, let's do this. Okay, it's going to become quickly obvious why this document is a part of your required foundational documents for this AP exam. This document is an illustration of how the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment supported and motivated social movements, especially the social movement fighting for civil rights and equality for African Americans. And in the 1950s and 60s, as this movement grew, one of the key leaders, of course, was the Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And his way of fighting for these civil rights was using social disobedience, nonviolent direct action. This means that the people who are following King's lead on this would have to endure suffering and imprisonment as they protested. And King felt that this was the way to get people to finally negotiate, finally make changes, because up until this point, they had not. So he led a campaign to desegregate Birmingham, Alabama's downtown shopping district. And he did so through a series of boycotts, sit-ins, marches. And he is writing this letter from jail because... And they said he did not have the appropriate permit in order to launch this campaign. And while this is going on, an open letter was published in newspapers that was written by white clergymen who were sympathetic to the cause of civil rights and did want to see the injustices stop. But they were calling on King and his followers to essentially be patient and let the courts and the legislature do what they have to do to bring about the necessary change. And his response is this letter. And he opens up explaining why he's in Birmingham in the first place, saying that he cannot sit idly by. He has to go where injustice is happening. And he says in his letter, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And he then says that these boycotts these sit-ins have not been thrown together last minute, that they've been meticulously planned and that the participants have been trained and prepared for the almost certainty that they would be met with violence and brutality. But this nonviolent direct action was so that they could create a crisis that would get attention and get the community to come to the table, negotiate, and actually confront the problems that African-Americans were facing in the South. 
So it lends a certain drama and attention to what's being done. And he says, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. So the call from white clergy for a king and his followers to be patient and to wait can't be a reality because King says, for years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with a piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. So he's saying it's, it's time to insist instead of just wait. And the similarity as he goes on to the Declaration of Independence is very deliberate. He goes on to much in the way Jefferson listed the grievances we had against King George III. He lists all of the humiliations and the injustices that had been put upon African-Americans and says that at this point, the time is now. And he then goes on to talk about how disappointed he is in the white clergy who wrote this letter and the people that he groups them with, whom he calls moderates, the white moderates, who he says frustrate them because, as he says, for years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. And he says that it has actually been them more than even the Ku Klux Klan who has been a stumbling block towards them making progress in this movement. And instead of worrying about whether or not African-Americans are going to disrupt society, they should be worrying about the injustice that is being done to African-Americans. And he calls on them and says, you know, we're going to have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. So through this, he goes on to make comparisons and he talks about how throughout history, Jesus, um, who was called an extremist, uh, the apostle Paul was an extremist, Socrates was an extremist, but they were telling the truth and then they were martyred for being extreme. So he says, it's fine to be extreme because in the end, you're bringing attention to things that absolutely need to be changed. And in this case, the fact that African-Americans are just being denied fundamental rights that they should be getting as Americans. And this humiliation and brutal injustice is no longer going to be tolerated. Throughout this letter, the recurring theme is, if not now, then when? And I love the line where he says that other people like the men who wrote this letter feel like they can, as he says, set the timetable for another man's freedom. Through this, the cruelty that they have endured 
slavery and the oppression from then up until what King is working for now. He says, there is no longer the ability to wait for those who won't see the truth. He needs people who know the truth to stand with him and help fight for these fundamental rights. So these are some of the big takeaways for Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail. Uh, my next episode, I will be going over a summary of two of our required court cases, Marbury versus Madison and McCulloch versus Maryland. And until then, I thank you very much for listening and keep up the good work.